12 to 1 with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. It's Money FM 89.3, and today we'll be discussing all things esports. And joining me to discuss the matter further, I've got Jimmy Pan, who's Director of International Operations at Invictus Gaming, which is China's top esports organization. Dr. Kenny Ching, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at Foisty Business School, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. And Lo Enkiet, who's a partner, tax practice leader at Baker Tilly, Singapore, part of the 10th largest accounting global network. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, great to have you guys on the show. Now, of course, esports is the talk of the town. This year is on track to, you know, surpass $1 billion in revenue for the first time. And next year, it's projected to hit $1.8 billion. Why is esports so big in this day and age? So I'm Kenny. I could take this on a little bit in trying to explain this. Probably people might want to know, esports is actually not new. Um, we're really talking about something that I would say from my research, one would probably say began probably around the mid-90s, where StarCraft as an esport title really exploded in South Korea, right? And at that time already, you could see that there was a lot of energy within the industry, um, sponsorships and players and lots of money was already going in the industry. But somewhat it was confined only to South Korea and, and China, mostly because we don't have yet the kind of technology that allows the industry to really boom. But over the last 10 years or so, we really see a, this as a dramatic boom in the industry, mostly because of the growth of technology platforms like Twitch and other streaming sites that really allow esports to be democratized and brought to the masses. So everybody started enjoying it so much more. Then naturally, with more eyeballs, uh, watching people playing computer games, you see that revenue starts soaring as sponsorships start coming in. And basically, you see the industry has really boomed. The other thing as well is that over the last year, due to COVID-19, we could see that you know more people are staying at home. You're watching things. You're watching people competing. And so, you know, esports has definitely ridden that sort of momentum. And we see that growth for it is going to explode even more in the future. And Jimmy, I think you can take the lead on this one. Who are some of the big names backing esports? Hi, by the way, this is Jimmy from Invictus Gaming. So, yes, uh, it depends on the... Uh which region we talk about. So over the years of esports development, it all started from, it's kind of hobby for a lot of the individual business that, you know, how professional, how traditional sports were getting to a lot of business, in, enter this market and then with a huge capital for it. But over the years have developed and then now more and more capital group that investing in the in different regions. For example, in the America, there's a private equity called David Rubinstein. I could add in a little bit, right? So- so there are a variety of different investors and investments that have been flowing in. One thing, for example, we see that a lot of celebrities and existing sportsmen have been getting into it. So popular names like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, David Beckham, for example, he just recently invested in an esports academy in London. You also see that you have the traditional private equity players and venture capital players also getting into the scene. For example, one of the teams that is very popular, really the biggest team in North America called Evil Geniuses, they recently got acquired by one of the leading private equity companies in the world called Peak Six. Well, undisclosed some, but it was a very significant investment because, you know, it really shows how legitimate 
esports organizations are. And of course, you also have your traditional venture capital investments as well. Closer to home, JJ Lin is also an investor in esports. He just started his first team in Dota, which is on esports titles. And I think, Jimmy, you know a lot about those as well, right? In, in China, we have a lot of these things happening as well. Yeah, you did mention closer to home, of course. Let's talk a little bit about the Singapore Major, which was held from March 27th to April 4th. You know, how significant and important was this, Jimmy? So, yeah, it's actually really significant. So uh, because of the COVID last year and then a lot of things, a lot of events are being paused and restricted to local region and online format. And with this Singapore major that Singapore opened its doors to eSports athletes, 16 teams from different regions across the world are able to participate the first post, one of the first post-pandemic international major eSports event. And it actually quite successful. And the success of Singapore major signaled the confidence on the industry and the flexibility to able to adapt the environment and also continue to grow. Not only the teams, but the global eSports audience and businesses are brought together once again. Now we all cannot wait the next one to come. And from a team perspective, that also gave us the confidence on continue maintaining the business to run because there's a lot of fast development over the different game title and then the rules such as DPC. It changed last year. There was a new system. We are not entirely sure how effective it will change our business, but it all coming up to together. It all showing good facts and good data that proving this is still happening. This is still growing and it's still going to be potential. And it really prove us the potential of continue investing in this area. And while we talk about events, we must also consider the commercial and professional aspects of it as well. So what is it about esports that makes it an exciting business proposition? One of the things in setting out how esports has grown, one of the points that I, I probably did not mention enough was that we're also tapping into a change in the way that younger people are viewing what is entertainment. Right. So to some, maybe some of the older, I'm not being ages, but you know, to some of the older folks, it sounds a little bit strange that you want to watch people playing computer games. Right. But that has sort of like, that sort of activity has become very normalized in our younger generation. And, you know, as more of them come on with higher spending powers, they're willing to spend to watch people compete, buy items that's related to the gaming, like merchandise sales, that sort of thing. Basically, esports is at the cusp of a generation of people who are getting really into the, their spending powers are basically increasing. So you're seeing that the overall industry is just growing rapidly, right? Because you're really catching a generation of people that's now used to watching computer games and watching people compete in computer games. And it's a normal behavior to them. So the eSports industry is actually quite interesting and unique. Like Kenneth said, it combines some of the features from sports, video games, and entertainment. And the way we look at it is that it, there are many creativity and opportunity lies within. For example, for us in Wicked Gaming as an eSports team, our major operation focus on getting the best team and best players to compete. There's a whole process of working for scouting, like finding the talents to training, by building academy teams and prepare them for the top level and performances as in taking part competition. These all require talents and a long time commitment. But there's more to the business side of eSports for us as a team. IG is also a brand and actual businesses. We require people for, uh, with expertise just like any other industry to support our operation. They are marketing, public relationship, and then partnership and legal and taxes. 
especially the marketing and PR are very important to us because essentially we are also influencers and content creators. We have our own creative team to, and partners working closely together to channel message and brands to our fans and target audience and so on. Now, if we look at eSport as an ecosystem, teams is only just one part of it. There's a tournaments or lead organizers. There are media platforms that uh, host these events, stream these events. There are game publishers related to the titles that we compete brands on trying to market out their exposure and presence to the, of course, and the audience. Each of these components has their own focus area and supporting sector, which further connects to the other industry. As esports industry is still young and growing, there are many opportunities waiting for us to explore more and try more how we could connect together and be professionalized. So, you know, beyond being a venue for big events like the Singapore Major, Enkiat will rope you in now. How else can Singapore benefit from esports growth? Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, I believe Singapore is uh, very well placed to facilitate more and also better collaborations in the esports arena, right? And this really should uh, go beyond just being there to serve tea and coffee, right? Something which uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs Vivian Balakrishnan was known to have humbly said uh, when describing Singapore's role as a host for the US-North Korea summit uh, a number of years back. And this is really because with uh, strong institutions and foundations supporting Singapore's uh, long-heralded role as the world's middleman, we are already very well suited to be a potential leader as a, as a corporate esports hub. Let me give you a quick example, right? Uh, in cross-border joint venture situations, it is not unusual for the joint venture vehicle to be formed and based in a neutral jurisdiction, uh, one which is separate from the countries from which the underlying uh, joint venture partners uh, originate. So uh, in the joint venture sense, we have got the Paris Saint-Germain LGD as a test example uh, in esports, very successful organization, uh, using this to illustrate, right? A Singapore-based joint venture vehicle uh, in this context could play the role of a middleman, uh, one which is politically neutral and one which is potentially more adept at facilitating communication uh, through her bilingual policy, right? Paris Saint-Germain, PSG is obviously a French organization, uh, while LGD is uh, a Chinese uh, business organization. And esports as an industry, right, which is not necessarily homogeneous uh, and it often uh, crosses genres, even a well-established football organization like Paris Saint-Germain may not necessarily have the domain expertise if it were to venture into fighting games, for example. And this means that there can be real value add that a Singapore intermediary could provide uh, by simply marrying the domain expertise and aligning the commercial interests of different stakeholders. In July 2020, agreement on mutual legal assistance in criminal matters between Singapore and France was signed. So as a common law country, this was also Singapore's first bilateral mutual legal assistance treaty with a country that has a civil law system like France, right? And this reflects the high level of trust between the two countries and which can undoubtedly strengthen Singapore's positioning as a trusted intermediary for French businesses from a legal framework standpoint. And I'm confident that if our authorities continue the pursuit of more similar bilateral opportunities or even multilateral ones, uh, our legal proposition will become even more compelling. And on, on this very similar note, uh, talking about taxes, Singapore's tax architecture is also currently in a good position to capitalize on these opportunities. Singapore has bilateral tax treaties with both France and China, and these are generally considered very favorable ones. With appropriate structuring, substance, 
functionalities and profits residing in Singapore, a local intermediary can uh, foster tax efficiency in the, in the context of joint uh, Chinese-French economic collaborations. Thank you for that, Enkiat. Of course, Singapore has a lot to offer. A lot of the big companies are headquartered here as well. But what else is in it for Singapore and its population, Kenny? And are there any other reasons for the big names to consider you know, moving to the Republic? So I think esports, generally speaking, we should acknowledge that it's, it's just going to be here. It's, going, it's a phenomenon that will only be growing so much more. And, and you know, obviously, Singapore should be there to, to t- exploit and take advantage of it. So, so I should note that some of the countries like Malaysia have already started adopting some policies to, to really foster the growth of esports within their countries. We also see that in China, obviously. So Singapore can really take advantage of this by first really emphasizing our strengths that, you know, we are, we could create hub of hubs status that, you know, we could help all these esports organizations access new markets. We're a trusted partner for them. We can access great infrastructure and, you know, to really tap into this nascent world of esports. And, and then secondly, we also have the capacity to really start being a good ground to foster young talents that might be interested to become esports athletes in their own rights or to participate in the esports industry overall. As many of you uh, may have heard, you know, in terms of the, the esports players, they could be uh, well, extremely young for some of them, but they could actually be earning a lot of money. And this significant earnings by these players uh, when it interacts with the highly international nature of esports, for instance, you know they participate in tournaments overseas or they get uh, sponsorship deals from overseas. This interaction it can create very complex taxation issues uh, as a byproduct. And if we simply extrapolate from some of the bad examples that uh, we may have heard about of high earning athletes uh, from other fields, right? And this can correspondingly lead to um, highly convoluted tax planning structures that increases tax controversy. But Singapore's very uh, competitive marginal income tax rate for individuals should be helpful in some sense. Uh, By that, uh, I mean that in Singapore, the highest paid individuals are currently taxed no higher than the rate of 22%. Uh, This is very attractive by global standards. For example, the equivalent rates in the US and France would be 37% and uh, 45% respectively. And this can prove to be an advantage, not just for the Singaporean uh, esports world beaters, but it may also potentially attract super performers in the esports space from other countries to potentially think about redomiciling here in Singapore. Having said uh, all the above, the continued absence of a comprehensive tax treaty between Singapore and the United States, uh, it could be a slight distraction, uh, as this would mean that participants with economic interests in both these countries could end up being doubly taxed in some situations. Uh, thereby reducing their after-tax returns. Yeah, So this is one thing that I, I hope could be addressed uh, eventually. And just before I let you go, you know, recently it was announced the Goal 2034 project for football, and uh, it's been strongly endorsed by the Ministry of Culture, Community and Youth. Kenny, why do you believe that there should be a similar stance, you know, taken by the relevant authorities to elevate the profile of esports? One thing, as I mentioned earlier, is that you know other countries are already doing it. I think it's a phenomenon that cannot be stopped. It will be part of our mainstream culture. Singapore should take the lead in really integrating it earlier and embracing the fact that it will be part of our mainstream culture anyway. Secondly, as well, as I hope that we've made the case, the economic case for esports is just simply immense. 
is just all companies are streaming in the opportunities for young people in taking advantage of the industry are just immense and it suits our skill sets really well we are a highly digitalized nation we have no biases against esports that you know some other countries may have some other culture we have none of that and then we have all the right infrastructure the economic agents government support to really take leadership of the whole industry it is my honest belief esports can be a next pillar for our economic development in the future well there you have it some invaluable insights into how esports has been developing and what the future holds. We've been in conversation with Jimmy Pond, Director of International Operations at Invictus Gaming, uh, Dr. Kenny Ching, Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at Foisy Business School, and Ang Kiat, who's a partner and tax practice leader at Baker Tilly Singapore. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and joining me on Money FM. I wish you the best in your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.